Hey guys, welcome to the Mortgage Man podcast. Now, if you are a first home buyer, then you are in the correct place. This first series is going to cover everything you need to know to buy your first home, including what requirements you need in terms of the bank, but also who you should hire along the way to help you out with that process. Now, don't worry if you're not a first home buyer and you're looking for an investment property, the next series will be exactly what you want to go to. So just skip the first five episodes and start there. Just a reminder that this is not individualized advice. If you would like individualized advice, please reach out and follow me, Aaron, the mortgage underscore man on Instagram or give me a call on 022-065-1217. Enjoy. Hello everyone, welcome to another podcast episode slash YouTube video. So the reason I say that is today I'm joined by Chris Brown, he's director at Tenta Financial. Thank you for joining us. Hello everyone. Um, So I say YouTube video because we're actually going to walk through how to fill out a sales and purchase agreement. So if you are listening on the podcast, try and get one of these in front of you so you can kind of kind of match yourself with it. If you are watching on YouTube, then just watch. Um, this is something that you kind of have to probably listen to a few times to get your head around, but it is super important because this is how you make an offer on a house that you want. And you kind of want to make sure you do it right because I guess if you do it wrong, you are legally bound to buy whatever you're put down on the piece of paper, right? That's right. Yeah, it is a, a legally binding contract. So uh, as always, if it's a legally binding contract, we recommend first and foremost, you do get this looked over by a lawyer, but this, this is a kind of a brief rundown. So you actually have a, a basic understanding of what it is before you actually go and uh, get lawyer speak thrown at you. Yeah. So where would someone, uh, I guess, get one of these from? So let's just say they found a house that they want to make an offer on. Do that, is it their responsibility to find one or is, is it going to be supplied for them? Uh, so all of these will be supplied for by the vendor. So you can see the, the vendor will be the one. They'll have their name uh, written down and they will have all the description of the property in there. So they will have the address, the estate and all the legal numbers that are associated with that property. And you get given one by the real estate agent selling it. Okay. So just starting from the top. Um, and I guess this is a key thing to focus on. The first thing that is written down on that sales and purchase agreement is the date. Is that something that someone needs to fill out right now or is that something they do later on? Yeah, common, common little trip up there. Uh, you as the purchaser don't actually fill that out. That is for when both parties have agreed and it's not a, a binding contract until it's dated by both people. So if you're putting your offer in first, Obviously, you won't be putting the date on the person selling the house agreeing to it. They will be putting the date on it, but um, often left off. So always just check that when it comes back to you with an agreed price. Okay, cool. So the next one down is the vendor. That also means the seller and this can be an individual. It can be a company. It can be pretty much whoever owns that property currently. Yeah, so you can see here, Tenter Investments Limited. This is actually my investment company. I, if, I would, if you were to be buying one of my properties, you would see the vendor as my, um, my company there. Okay. The part that you need to worry about is the purchaser. So you put your name there. Uh, so you'd have John 
and Mary. If you wanted to put your name there, if you're not 100% sure what you're buying in, so whether you're yet to set up a company or want to buy it in a trust or for whatever reason, um, you know, maybe you're adding dad on at a later point, you're not 100% sure, there is this little portion here you can write circle saying and or nominee. And what that means is that whatever the purchase name here means, you can nominate someone else to, to fill this agreement for you. So a nice little thing if you're not 100% sure who's actually buying the house. Yeah, and in most cases, if you are a first home buyer, you will be buying it in your own name. Um, but if you're not 100% sure, if you, let's just say you've found a dream house and you're like, shit, I haven't actually talked to my parents if they're going to help out or not. Like, just put or nominee and then you worry about that later um, because you obviously don't want to miss out on the house that you're potentially putting an offer on. Um, next step is there is a little box that says the vendor is registered under GST. What does that mean and is that applicable to most people or not? Uh, basically, that's not going to be applicable for anyone unless you're property trading. So for 99.9% .9 of all first home buyers, this bar here is irrelevant to you. And that will automatically already be filled out by the vendor, right? 90% of the time, we'll just say no there. You don't need to worry about it at all. Okay, so next comes down to, I guess, the legal uh, description of the property so the address is obviously the property address that you're buying make sure that is right um, and then we go on to I guess the estate type so usually it's going to be freehold or cross lease do you want to just walk through what those other ones quickly mean um, yeah so basically you you won't see stratum and freeholds or stratum and leaseholds um, in a first home buyer, they typically refer to apartments, but uh, for the most part, you won't see them. And if you do come across them, just sing out. But 90% again of properties you'll see in the freehold or cross lease section there. Um, if you're buying a leasehold, I highly advise against it. It means that you don't actually own the land. So what these all mean is, is um, what is the actual land you're buying not the house what is the land so you can kind of see this one here is cross lease um, and what that means is it's cross lease and i have a half share of this total 999 square meter section if it was freehold i'd have that all to myself so it's basically a description of whatever the land underneath the house you're buying is yeah so i guess most people ideally would want a freehold section because that means they have control over that whole land but i think because of the way new zealand has developed it has got a lot more crossly sections so to describe that differently i suppose is imagine you have a house on the front of a section and you've got land out the back that is a freehold section if someone has gone and subdivided it put another house on the back now the front section is cross-leased with the back section the back section is cross-leased with the front section so kind of an easier way to describe it. Yeah, and, <laughs> and all it practically means for you is you need your neighbor's permission to build your two-story house if you want to. And under the new council rules for most councils, you actually need to do get your neighbor's permission if you're doing that anyway. So the difference between cross-lease and freehold is negligible, but if you're worried about it, talk to your lawyer again. Yeah, I mean, as long as it's got a freehold or a cross-lease with freehold in brackets like that one, that's kind of what you're looking for. And that's what the majority of properties are. Yep. Um, just before we go into that next section, those other numbers, the lot, the flat, the unit, the DP codes, 
that's found on the title and that should be filled out for you. And that's just, again, the legal description of what you're actually buying. Um, then we move down to the purchase price. So this is obviously how much money you are offering to buy the property stated in the address that you put in earlier. Yeah, so this is where you would come along and you would <clears throat> put your first offer in here. So I'm going to come along and I'm going to offer to buy this house for $550,000. So I would do that. I would initial it to say that's my uh, offer and I would send <clears throat> and uh, often just send that back to the the vendor. real estate agent or real vendor. So in this situation, I'm going to be the person selling the house and I'm seeing this now in front of me and I didn't actually want 550,000, I wanted 600,000. So I'm going to cross out Chris's offer because it's crap. <laughs> and I'll put 600,000 and I'm going to initial it and then we'll go back to this, the buyer and see if they can want to offer that. I don't want to pay 600. I reckon he's going to take 575. So I'm going to go back with another offer at 575 and hopefully initial it. Hopefully he accepts this one. And this is something you can do back and forth as many times as you like. Of course, don't do stupid offers because they get annoyed, but you can if you want. Um, but yeah, people have, and us included, have gone back and forth multiple times to try and figure out the price. For this situation, we're going to make it easy. I'm going to say, yes, I want to buy that property for $5.75. Um, and I will initial next to it to say I'm happy with that price. So basically, we're agreeing on the price at the moment. Um, and then obviously, we need to agree on some other conditions and other things, right? That's correct. I, I have seen uh, sale and purchase agreements, which have had up to 10 or 15 different offers down the side there, which was quite hilarious. But, you know bargain hunters uh, <laughs> some people just like negotiating yeah so uh, I guess the next thing we can almost negotiate is the deposit so the deposit is basically what you as the seller sorry you as the buyer is paying the seller once you have fulfilled the conditions and are ready to go unconditional that's great and so most of the time it, it, the, the standard if you don't change it is actually 10% of the purchase price and it will often be pre-filled out for you. Say 10% of purchase price. Run out of room here. 10% <laughs> of purchase price. But you can actually, uh, if you wanted to, again, just cross it out and put any price you actually wanted on there. So let's say um, you actually only had, uh, you know, you've got your 20% deposit for this $575,000 purchase, but a hundred grand's coming from KiwiSaver and you haven't actually got that yet. You could actually come here and say, well, I'm actually only going to give you 25 grand. I'd, I'd maybe do that in a different color so you can see it. But um, I'd say, no, I'm actually deposit. I'm actually going to say $25,000. Uh, and again, I will initial it. And so you can actually change that to suit your um, situation. The deposit is basically it's designed as a show of good faith that I'm not going to run away. I'm going to sign this contract. I'm going to give you a large sum of money to show that I'm not going to disappear uh, unreasonably and waste your time. So if I gave you 25 grand, often you'll find um, a vendor might be happy to accept that the real estate agent 
will typically be happy because they take their commission out of that money as well and away we go. If it was say $5,000, I'd be scared you're gonna run away. So it does need to be something yeah, it's basically a you've got skin in the game kind of situation. And to, to kind of simplify that, that situation is you're making an offer of 575 with the conditions. So you might say, I've got 10 days to fulfill these conditions. So that is a conditional offer. Once you've ticked off those conditions, you're now going unconditional. That is when you pay the $25,000 or the deposit. Then you move on to settlement, which can be, know two weeks after two months after whatever you put down in this next section which says do you want to highlight that where the settlement goes that's when you'll pay the remainder of the funds so let's say you've already paid $25,000 as a deposit you're buying the house for 575 so you will pay the remainder 550,000 um, on the date that you've agreed on down here Obviously, the person selling the house might have a date already in mind because they're moving out, they're moving overseas, they're moving into a retirement village. Um, so figure out where they are because that can make your offer more attractive if you agree on the settlement date because it makes it easier for them. Yeah, so all of these things are flexible. They will often come with a pre-arranged uh, date there, but um they are you can change them to suit you as well just remember that if you're changing it to suit you it's probably not going to suit them and if you want them to accept your offer you want it to suit them as much as possible so i've kind of put here um settlement days 24th of august and a good three four weeks uh, away from today so it just happened to also be my birthday which would be a happy day <laughs> yeah i had a settlement date once on the day that i moved to london so someone else <laughs> had to sign the documents for me um okay so i guess we should probably cover number 2.2 where it says or in the manner described in the future terms of sale so that's probably more i guess relative if you're buying like a house and land package and you want to make sure that the house is actually built and got consent from the council that it meets the requirements when you actually pay the money over because you don't want to buy a house that hasn't been built or um, essentially hasn't been built to a good quality, yeah? Yeah, that's right. And so basically, if it says there, that so settlement as described in further terms of sale, it's basically saying we've got too much information we need to put here to fill in this little box here. So we're gonna put it in, a, in a, an appendix at the bottom and they usually say settlement happens two weeks after we complete, we get council sign off that the building is complete. So it's just a way to say, see below. Yeah, and I mean, you can literally put anything in that see below section, which is what we're gonna cover later. Uh, but the next step is obviously the conditions. So you're offering your five, seven, five on the condition that you fulfill or that these conditions are fulfilled. So you can see these ones already written down, finance, limb report, building report, um, and some other ones. And really, I guess, Chris, which are the essential ones that you kind of should make sure that they're ticked off before you actually go unconditional on a property? Yeah, so the first one there, obviously, being a mortgage broker is the most one uh, important to me, is finance required. Do you have your finance unconditional from the bank or is it still pending? And typically, if you don't, uh, if you need to um, have anything signed off, you should be putting, circling yes on finance required. Uh, and often that is followed up by finance date. And so for 
you'd normally have say 10 working days at least so you'd put in there 10 working days yeah if you guys are watching this and it's july august of 2020 who knows when you're going to be watching it but right now it is taking at least 10 days working days to get financed so please make sure you put that in there to give us and uh, the banks the time or some time to look at your application because it ain't going to happen in five days at the moment obviously things might change depending on when you're watching or listening to this uh video podcast episode whatever you want to call it <laughs> yeah that's right so the next one there i guess limb required uh classically real estate agents these days they put in uh, a, what we call a property pack and part of that is this sale and purchase agreement but also it has the limb and title already supplied um, your lawyer will want to see it but the limb is just basically it's called your land information memorandum and it's the council file which has anything that is um, that obtains to that property so if, if you have a stormwater drain running down your property or you gave the neighbors permission to build a, a carport, um, a carport. Before, the, before you now, cause you don't have to do that, but let's say a year ago. Yeah. Or a dry, a shared driveway, whatever it is, it's going to be put on the land information memorandum. And it's often really good to get that checked off by a lawyer, just to make sure that you do know that those are things there. I think the, the perfect example for my property, I have it currently at the moment, it has a no building line down one side of the property. So if I was going to buy that property thinking I was going to put a uh, minor dwelling or a little hut down the back for my parents when they get older, I can't actually do that. And that limb will actually tell me that that's the case. I think also if you or the previous owner has put an extension on there, that limb will tell you if it's actually legal or not because yeah. that'll be on the title and you don't really want to buy one or a property that's not got a legal uh, dwelling on there uh, because that could obviously mean the council could come after you at a later date and you should probably get that consented for or get the seller to get that consented for before you buy the property or just write that you're happy with it not being consented which would mean that you probably get a right price reduction. Um, next one is building reports. So this one probably isn't as important if you're buying a brand new house because there's a 10 year warranty on those brand new houses. In most cases, check that there is. If you're buying an existing property, I would probably almost always get a building report done unless you are, of course, a builder yourself. Um, but yeah, I would always be circling that because you don't want to buy a house with dodgy structural work or needs um, some massive things that need to be done. Yeah, and so a common misconception around that is also that the banks require building reports. Uh, they usually don't. It's only if you've given them a reason to, to do that. So in the further terms of sale, it might say um, that we acknowledge that the roof leaks, you need to fix it. So then the, the bank would say, well, the roof leaks, go tell me how much it's going to fix. I get to get fixed. But I would always recommend you at least at very least take a mate who's a builder through who knows what they're talking about um if not go get one they're only a couple hundred bucks and for the sake of you finding out you've got a ten thousand dollar bill down the uh down the, in the near future that's a well worth spent if you yeah if you're asking me <laughs> so just going back to the building report because sometimes what happens is that you will find that there are things that aren't quite right with the property 
and people sometimes think that that is either their options from there either buy the house at that price with those defects or walk away from the sale there is a third option and that is basically negotiate those works to be done before you buy it or so that would be in the further terms of sale or just pay less for it so let's say you got a quote to fix the roof for ten thousand dollars i'd now cross off five, two, and five on my price. And I say, I'm only going to pay five, six, five because of that reason. And mm -hmm. so the negotiation can continue even throughout that process. Um, this is usually done from lawyer to lawyer because now your lawyers are involved and it's just an easy way to make sure it's legally like tidied up. Um, I guess any other kind of clauses? I mean, you can literally write whatever clauses you want in there, but those are the three kind of main ones that we kind of, regularly see and probably recommend yeah. um, toxicology report uh, basically yeah. the, the thing these days is it's a meth test uh, if you're buying a rental property it's worth looking at if you're buying a new build again not as big a deal uh, the OIA overseas investment authority consent required uh, first home buyers don't worry about it <laughs> um, land act consent again as well um, do you need permission from the Land Act, i.e., the government, to purchase this property? First home buyers, not going to be a problem for you guys. So they'll often just be no or just let blank. So next we go down to tenancy. So this is basically are there any tenancies in place right now? Um, and obviously, are they going to stay when you buy the house? If you're a first home buyer, then probably not because you're going to live there. So they're gonna basically say that it's gonna be vacant possession. Um, if it's a rental, then you can obviously choose to keep the tenant or not. And then the last bit that you're filling out now is sale by usually a real estate agent, of course, um, his name may not be Dave, but it could also be the person who currently owns the house and it's just a private sale. Yep. Now, the, the, now we go to the legal speak. So general terms of sale, there, I'm not going to go through all of this because it is the first section there is just definitions and that took two pages. But um, I would recommend you get this looked at by a lawyer. But these are all standard real estate agreements. Um, and I mean, I do, I read them once just because I wanted to know what was in there. It's probably good to read it. Um, yeah. And you do need to initial each and every page of this agreement, as does the seller. So just put them down to say, yeah, you agree that that's all good. And usually if there's any changes in here compared to the standard agreement, they have been put in the further terms of sale. So it's like this clause instead of this clause kind of thing. Um, so make sure you read those further terms of sale. Yeah, so the further terms of sale is where the bulk of any... Um, non-standard things are going to be and so things like an unconsented deck or things like um, need uh, will only settle once the building has been completed or uh, I want to do and so things that you can put in I guess would be maybe due diligence and what that means is that I oh, damn it, diligence. <laughs> close, close enough, close enough. Um, Due diligence is just, I can go do my research and say that if I'm not happy with it, I can cancel the contract for any reason. I just say due diligence is not satisfied and go from there. The other one you can put in there is, I guess, um, 
your lawyer's uh, solicitor's approval is what it's called. Mm -hmm. Now these are all, um, you don't need to actually come up with these wordings yourself. They are all standard wordings that are standard, standardized. Yeah. And you just tell, often just tell the real estate agent that you want to put a solicitor's approval in or you want to put a due diligence in. Likewise, you can also take this agreement and give it to your own lawyer to put these terms in for you. And just on that, just remember that the real estate agent is working for the person selling the house, not for you. So when you are writing this stuff out at the top, if you've put a lot of time, working days, prices, all this, they're probably going to push back and say, you need to make your offer look more attractive and reduce those working days or put a higher price in or change the deposit. Now, remember that that's not necessarily fact. You know, you think about the seller. The real estate agent's job is to try and get the best offer from you. So make sure you're comfortable with everything that is there because that's the risk that you are taking of course if you're going to a multi-offer situation which basically means this house is really popular which is happening a lot at the moment um, you may not have time to negotiate all of this stuff you do kind of want to put your best offer forward so that means if you know that you've got a mate that can do the building report for you and you're comfortable doing that then put no on that because that's going to look better than someone that's got a 10-day building report clause on there. So um, it depends on the situation. If it's in a house that's just you, then yeah, play around like this. If it's a house that it's a multi-offer, you do kind of want to make it look as attractive as possible. So um, that means best price, best deposit, settlement date with where the vendor wants it and the working day clauses as minimum as possible within reason. Of course, right now, 10 working days is going to be the minimum. If someone puts down two working days, they've either got cash in their back pocket or they don't know how the banks are working at the moment. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So uh, I would always just, the real estate agent can be extremely helpful. They'll often ask you to come into their office uh, and fill out these offers with them. And they can be extremely helpful to fill these out because like I said, going through it with someone next to you, um, it is a 20 page legal agreement. So having someone help you through it would be fantastic, but the more you offer, the more they get paid. Uh, so keep that in the back of your mind. Mm. Um, so I guess the next thing is obviously to sign it. Usually you would do this uh, at the end. <laughs> Um, but even if you've signed, so let's say you've done the initial offer of that 550 and then you've signed it, it doesn't matter if you're still not dated the thing because the thing, not dated the agreement because you can still go back and forth with that uh, kind of negotiation price because you need both signatures on there and those things initialed and dated before it's legally binding. That's right. And the last little pit that you need on here is just cover. I this, guess. But, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Just in case. Just in case. Um, Schedule one is all about GST information. Again, you're not going to be GST as a GST registered in regards to property. If you're a um, sole trader or your own your own business, you may be GST registered for your business, but in regards to property, classically only property developers and property traders are GST registered in relation to property. So you often just need to ignore this entire section here. Yeah. Schedule two, uh, it's going to be a list of all the things you get with the house. This house has a uh, 
very few things that are covered by the warranty. <laughs> Fixed floor coverings, curtains, and blinds. That's all you get with this place. Uh, you also have these other things here in Schedule 3. So the difference between Schedule 2 and Schedule 3 is uh, Schedule 2 are like the fixed floor coverings, the things that are kind of going to be there, and they do, I guess, which do not have an operational function. Can I highlight this? Versus things in Schedule 3, which do have an operational function and actually need to be working when you take ownership. So things like an oven and the lights and a range hood, they kind of need to be working because you don't want to buy this house with something that needs $5,000 worth of repairs. And so for you buying the property, if you come in and all of a sudden all the light bulbs are missing from you went to the open home, they were all there, you come back and they're no longer there, you can actually say, hey, according to the agreement you signed, uh, you told me all the light fittings were going to be there. I would like those replaced before I take ownership of this property. Yeah. Cool. So, Schedule four. This is, again, more if you're probably buying a house as an investment. Who's renting it? what term all those details um, and this is more if you are going to continue to let them rent your property but as a first home buyer you're probably going to have a house that you're going to live in yourself and then finally page 19 i believe is the last page yeah so this is just where you put your contact details down so i would put my uh, my name here. Well, I'm a purchaser, so I put my name. Now you're the person selling it. <laughs> <laughs> you go up here, vendor. Uh, I'm going to put my lawyer's details in here. So I've got a lawyer named David because they're more. So Dave is the lawyer and Dave is the real estate agent. No, no. Yeah, David. <laughs> He's more official. Uh, but basically, you put your contact details in there and that's the last step you need. This section here, again, the vendor, it'll already come pre-filled out with their lawyer's details in here. Yeah. And I think that is pretty much everything. So yeah, probably watch this video again, listen to this podcast again, because it is important that you get the stuff right. Um, but yeah, feel free to reach out to us, a good trusted real estate agent, or just someone that you know that has done this before, because like you've probably just seen from our great scribbles, it can be a little bit overwhelming. But the key thing is, is make sure you're happy with the offer based on your expectations. Don't get pressured into, you know, offering more than you want to or putting less working days on your conditions because a real estate agent wants those because yes, it may make your offer more attractive, but if it's more than you can afford or more risk than you like, that's going to put you in a pretty crap situation if it doesn't pay off. Um, is there anything else that you kind of add to that? No, we've pretty much, um, covered it all off but uh, always just get legal independent legal advice if you're unsure about these legally binding contracts don't be scared um, they're fantastically straightforward once you get used to a couple of them each one's going to be very different with different clauses in it so make sure you always read through it and if in doubt just give us a call give the lawyers a call um, and go from there yeah and I think just basically on the lawyer side of things is I've always put so it's not in here and you did add it in a further terms of sale um, is yeah, just five days solicitor's approval, which basically means the lawyer is happy with this agreement, with the title of the property and with what you are buying and who from before, it's just got so many pages in, before you obviously sign this off because legally binding, you want to make sure that what you're buying is actually yours to buy. Like 
title is what you think it is and all that other stuff. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks Chris. And thanks guys for watching and listening. Um, tune in for the next episode and we'll help you out with the next kind of thing that first time buyers deal with. Cheers. So what's the next thing? What's the next thing?